1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to our throwback episode. In our throwback episodes, we are reintroducing you to some of our most popular episodes. This is great for new listeners who want to learn more about the work we've done in the past. And it's a great refresher if you've been a listener for a long time. Enjoy. Ariana, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Kwame. This is really such a fun opportunity.
1: Yes, yes. I I like using this as an opportunity to catch up with friends while sharing a good message to the world. So, how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
0: Sure. My name is Ariana Tadler. Uh, I am the founding partner of Tadler Law LLP, which is a women owned WBENC certified litigation boutique. Uh, We're principally located in New York, although we have a national uh, legal practice. And we focus on complex litigation, class action litigation. We also have um, specialization across the entire team in an area called electronic discovery, which deals with all of your data that you have. And uh, I'm also the co-founder of a company by the name of Meta Discovery, which is a data hosting management and consulting company.
1: That is fantastic and very impressive, and you must be pretty busy, <laughs> I'd assume.
0: I, I definitely am able to ful- fulfill all the hours in the day. Um, the word busy is one that I think I struggle with because I sometimes think it has negative connotations, uh, and so I, I'm trying to find a word in 2021 that encapsulates what does it mean to fill all those hours in the day and still have more things to do.
1: Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's I think that's really the the balance <laughs> that a lot of us are trying to figure out. So if right. you figure it out, let us know. We'll I have will. you back on the show.
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: So today we are talking about empathetic stoicism. And you might be saying to yourself, what is empathetic stoicism? Well, it is something that Ariana and I made up (laughs) in our pre-interview chat. And I will, I had to sell you on this too, right? Because can you tell the audience uh, about your initial perspectives on stoicism when I mentioned it?
0: Absolutely, so when I was much younger, The word stoic was sometimes used to describe me in my youth. And I took it as meaning something where the person was unemotional, very static, very quiet, um, perhaps very introspective. And so it wasn't something that I thought of in a positive light. Uh, And then you and I had a discussion where you really enlightened me about the depth of that word and the history of that word. And so I think this is just such a great opportunity for us to really explore where that goes.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so for me, when I'm thinking about Stoicism, I'm thinking about the the classic Stoics, like Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, all of those um, philosophers from back in the day. So I'm thinking about the philosophy of it and how it's about controlling your emotions, fighting temptation, and um, having clarity of thought so you can make better decisions. And I think if we take that philosophy and blend it with empathy, so it's not just understanding and managing our own emotions, but being aware of other people's emotions and managing those two then for us as leaders uh, lawyers negotiators um, and just everyday communicators it could be really really powerful in terms of our ability to connect and persuade
0: well and the timing could not be more perfect right I mean just coming off of uh, hearing some of the messaging with this new chapter in our nation and talking about unity and empathy and all of the things that we can do to be um collaborative, inclusive, trying to make sure that all people are heard. And the truth of the matter is, I I find at least that when I listen to others before I make a decision about taking an action or responding, I find that whatever action or decision I make ends up being a better action or decision because it's more informed, right? It's, It's almost stating the obvious, but I think the world has found itself on this super fast pace that we lost the significance of taking a step back and just maybe a breath to listen.
1: Exactly. No, I agree 100%. And so audience, the three things that we're going to talk about First, number one, we're going to talk about stoicism, what that means in this context and how we can start to master that in our lives. Next, we're going to talk about recognizing what's inside of us. And then we're going to wrap it up by talking about recognizing what's inside of the person on the other side. So when we think about stoicism and controlling emotions and things like that, what are the things that come to mind for you?
0: Uh, In terms of being controlled and still being creative, it means having some quiet in your mind, trying to make some space, right, to take a concept that's being positioned before you and giving it, as I said before, a minute. Let it settle. You know, sometimes things just need to settle down for a minute so that you can have a better understanding of what is its actual scope? What is the real meaning or what is the intent And I think one of the books I mentioned to you um, is this book called Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute. And it, it talks about this concept about living your life in the box or outside of the box. And when you're in the box, you're really just in your own head. You're in your own space. It's as if nobody else matters or has any kind of impact in your life. And of course, that's not true every day and every pretty much everything that we do has some interaction with somebody or something. And so when you take that minute to think about, well, what if I took myself out of the box? What if I looked outside of the perimeter to see, is there a different viewpoint? Or is there a different angle that if I looked in from that angle, I would see this situation, this concept, this thought very differently? And it is hard right now. It's very challenging when we're so accustomed to that immediate gratification through technology, through the television, through just the way information and our, the people in our lives are moving. And yet I find so frequently that if I do take a step back, things seem to calm down. I feel much more comfortable in the decisions that I make. I feel much more comfortable in those intense moments when you're having a conversation with somebody which might not be the lightest of uh, situations. When you just let things settle a little bit, you find that it takes some of the intensity or the heat out of it, right? We know, I don't know if you like to cook, I like to cook. Sometimes when you're throwing things in the pan, it suddenly gets so super hot, you know that if you just take the pan off that flame for even a few seconds, things settle down and you can go back to making whatever hopeful masterpiece you were trying to make. And so I, I think about it in that way.
1: This is great, and let's continue with this metaphor as as the person who cooks in the family. That's what I well I used to do it more. Um, now mom lives closer by, so we <laughs> we have assistance now, which is really nice. But um, I remember, and I think about the the reality that not all mistakes are created equally, right? And so I, I realize, okay, if I if I burn this food, we are done. I can't come back from that. <laughs> but if, I, if I'm if i a little bit under, okay, I can recognize that, then I can put a little bit more on. And so if we think about this in terms of the the heat of the battle, one might say, or a difficult conversation where there's high level of emotionality, we might find ourselves in this conversation and we say, okay, let's take a moment, let's pull ourselves back. But then sometimes we might make the mistake of of overestimating our abilities, um, or getting too caught up in the heat of the moment. And then we say or do something that we can't recover from. And that is the burn, right? <laughs> and, and you're done.
0: Yes, well, that is definitely the burn. When you go too far, you say too much. Then we also wonder, what is the impact of saying nothing? So my husband and I just recently had a situation in communicating with some folks and things got very hot and everybody just stopped communicating. And I I left that conversation, if you can call it a conversation, um, feeling that it was not complete. People had not finished saying what they had to say. Then again, if they did say what, They really wanted to say in that moment, being reactive, which you and I have spoken about. I don't like to be reactive. I like to be responsive. In this particular situation, the communications just stopped. And I have continued to dwell on that. I'm not a dweller, but I have dwelled on that thinking, I feel like I have something to say. There are so many different personalities involved. I am, to some extent, one step removed from the key participants in the conversation. I'm a participant. I was invited in to be part of the conversation, but there are some key players in the conversation. And I was concerned that if I spoke up that, Because of the position I had, I might have created more friction than we wanted. That was my thought then. Days passed. And then I started thinking, I didn't close that. It turns out something else has now come up in a communication with the same players. And it looks as if we're going to now move forward and we're going to leave that difficult conversation behind. So I'm okay with it now because of how it's played out. But I will say for the last number of days, I really was sort of fixated on it. You know, I really should say something. I should say something. Sometimes you shouldn't say something, especially if you're not among the key players. Um, Sometimes there's a role for you to play that by being quiet, the fact that they invited you in as, you know, sort of round two, maybe the hope was that, by your being quiet, you'd help things settle down a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's so powerful. And um, it's so funny because they said that, that that was an example that they gave in the book on stoicism that I just read. The, the book is by Ryan Holiday, Stillness is the Way. And um, they were referring to, uh, I think the guy's name was Fabian fighting Hannibal and uh, way back in the day. And so everybody wanted him to be more aggressive and actually engage in the battle. And he said, no, actually, what we need to do is wait, and his army will become depleted, and then we would it would be much better for us to attack when he is weaker. There was power in restraint, in doing nothing. And that's a big part of it, and I know this is almost going to seem contrary to what we often say in the podcast because I'm always be talking about being proactive, engaging, having the conversation. But that is the i think that's the uh, an appropriate bias towards being proactive and having in having these conversations leaning in. But we also have to be able to slow down, pause, and think through it so we can then implement the proper strategy. We can't really trust ourselves in the moment when we are flooded with emotions uh, to to make the proper decision. Let me take a day, maybe even two to think about what the right approach is and what you came up with in that situation is the right approach is to not approach and let this play itself out.
0: Right, right, recognizing again what role are you there to play in that particular circumstance or that particular situation, some of the work that I do, obviously, I don't have the benefit of days, let alone even hours or sometimes minutes. I think about you know when I'm appearing before a judge um, and you're you're really on the spot when you're in that communication and the judge is trying to figure out how to resolve a dispute, he or she wants an answer. I always though try to say a few sentences in the course of the discussion, so that I'm still thinking in the background and saying, okay, where's this going? Where's the intensity? Where's that middle ground? Where does this judge, arbiter, mediator think we're going? And if it's not the direction that I wanna go, how can I help to move that needle even just slightly? Because just that slight movement could change the tone of the conversation. And when the tone changes, people start listening again, right? When people start yelling or people become nasty or intense, I feel like sometimes people's ears just shut off. They forget that in order to converse, even even to really have a good debate, right? Anybody who's done debating work knows you have to listen. That's the whole point because otherwise you're just talking And you you can't possibly win the debate because you're not responding point for point. And so you have to come up with some mechanisms so that you can better manage the situation and allow your brain to process what's really happening here, both audibly as well as tone, temperature, and then sometimes realizing that whatever that intensity that's coming at you May have nothing to do with what we're talking about at all. It may be that that person just had a really crappy day or something bad just really happened moments ago, an hour ago, two hours ago. And so they've brought the heat to this conversation. Well, you know, this plays right into that empathetic stoicism, right? So try to have an understanding of where is this coming from why is this person behaving this way? Why is he or she saying it the way he or she's saying it? Because maybe when we get right down to it, we're really just talking about X. Let's get to X.
1: Exactly. Oh, this is great, and I, I like what you talked about at the beginning when you were talking about the uh the pause. But sometimes we don't have the luxury of days, hours, or even minutes. But even injecting just a a simple deep breath before responding can work wonders. And for me as a mediator, that's something that I have to deal with, especially when somebody says something that is way out in left field. I just need to take a second and think through it. And then sometimes you can almost manufacture this time because you can say things that can give yourself a little bit of time like you said. So for example, one of the things that I like to do in this in these types of situations is ask for clarification. Even if I know I know what they said. <laughs> I understand it. I might just say I'm not sure exactly what you mean. Can you explain that or I might focus in on a specific word. When you say blank, what does that mean to you in this situation? Okay, tell me more. And so I'm, I'm still listening to a certain extent, but I'm really strategically asking that question to give myself some time to process a little bit deeper.
0: Right. I mean, just think about our prep time and talking about the word stoic or stoicism and you saw the reaction from me right away, even just in body language, because we were doing it via video teleconferencing. And then when I shared with you what that word meant for me, we ended up having this really phenomenal conversation about how that can really be broadened, especially when we add empathetic to that word. It becomes much more um, inclusive, thoughtful, Creative, um, inviting, inviting this opportunity for people to communicate better, more clearly, more in a more understanding way.
1: Absolutely, and I think again, going back to how we define stoicism—whether it's the philosophical way or the kind of common um, approach to stoicism as like a descriptor—I think a lot of times people might take stoicism and manipulate it for their own purposes in order to disconnect so for example let's say it's somebody who is not really um in tune with their own emotions and they might ha- they might say kind of almost contrive this in a way to say, yes, I'm operating on a higher moral order by not connecting emotionally with you in this moment or showing any level of vulnerability. And they might say, this is the way that people should operate. And I think, again, that's a bit of a perversion of what stoicism is meant to be, right? Because then you are not Fully engaged and wholeheartedly engaged in the conversation because the emotional aspect is a very real component of these difficult conversations.
0: That's right. That's right. I mean, we all have to understand that every person has their own story and their story has chapters, right? So you might know a particular person and think, oh, well, her story is that this is how she grew up, this was her family she was either privileged or underprivileged or had bad things happen in her home or her life was just a beautiful, eucolic life, no problems. You never know the real story until you actually start getting to know somebody. And I'll give you a very pointed example, um, which is a very personal example for me. So uh, I grew up on Long Island uh, in a, a town on the North Shore, went to the you know local public schools through the local public school system and uh, loved going to high school there. I, I People tease me all the time. They're like, you still love your high school days. I said, I absolutely do. I, I had this wonderful experience. So I have a best friend um, who's been a best friend of mine since I was 13. And um, she did not know until about three or four years ago that my father was an alcoholic. She had no idea. And when I told her that, she said, what are you talking about? You mean that happened like at some point after you went to college and we had lost touch for a while? And I said, no, he was an alcoholic while we were in school. And she said, how could you have never told me that? And I said, because that was something that I kept very close, right? I didn't tell anybody. I just worked through that. And of course, I thought I had handled it so beautifully. It wasn't until many years later that I realized that was something that weighed very heavy on my heart and I had to work through that. It goes to show you that somebody who's even your best friend might not know something about you unless you tell them, just might not know.
1: Um, And with the time we have left, I wanna get to the other two things because we have recognizing what's inside of you and then recognizing what's inside of them. And we've touched on these a little bit, but I really wanna dig deeply into this too because this goes toward, yes, stoicism, self-awareness, that part of it, but also self-directed empathy. Getting an understanding of how you see, think, and feel about this. And let's go a little bit deeper in terms of how we can actually operationalize this in the moment. So, if we find ourselves in a difficult conversation and then we recognize, oh, I'm feeling something, what is it that you've been able to do in order to get an understanding of yourself while still staying in the moment and negotiating effectively?
0: Very quickly, trying to think. And you, and you have to be, you know, fast on your feet, if you will. Why am I having a visceral reaction if I'm having a visceral reaction? And um, when you, if you're able to pick that up right away, that immediately will put you in a position of saying, well, I already know from my own experience that if I go that direction, that visceral reaction uh, direction, that's gonna push me in a way that I already know how that could play out because I've seen it before. It's, you know, rinse and repeat. And so if I, if I know where it's coming from, if I can tap into that right away, it gives me some courage to say, how would I like it to look differently? What could I do right now, even just to put a quick pause or a quick um, breath? A quick another sentence or two so that i can strategize a little bit and maybe if i say something differently more calmly more thoughtful or sometimes quite frankly more harshly um the conversation could go differently and i i will tell you that i i had i've had to do that just like many people and i can think of a particular conversation with my dad again whom I absolutely adored and I think positively about him every day. We had a conversation where, you know, he was so accustomed to being the patriarch of the family and running the show and everybody just kind of fell in line and he had one of these moments of being loud and demanding and I just took a breath and said, "No, I don't want to do that anymore and I'm not going to. And there wasn't screaming, there wasn't yelling. I just said very matter of factly, I'm not doing this anymore. And if you continue to behave that way, what will happen is we will not be having conversations because I'm not interested in having that loud screaming, yelling Situation. And it didn't happen all the time, by the way, which is going right to your point, right? Thinking about why did that happen the last time? It doesn't happen all the time, but if you can quickly remember, oh, that happened. And every time I react that way, things go in a bad direction. And for this, it was an absolute pivotal moment, not only in my relationship with my father, but it was a pivotal moment in my relationship with my husband. And my children. Because no longer was I walking into situations that sometimes might have been intense, where they were kind of on pins and needles worrying, because I just had a new sense of peace. Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't have to do that anymore.
1: This is so fascinating. There, there are so many different angles we could go with. And so let's start off with this one, because I think there is an assumption that a harsh uh, action or harsh words need to be met with a similar level of emotionality. And I was actually on a podcast episode where they, where they asked about that this morning, actually. So pretty recently. And again, your response was incredibly powerful. You did not meet him with that same level of, um, maybe let's say aggression or volume in this situation, you were very calm. And so what I like to do is focus on not just the conversation, but also the conversation behind the conversation that doesn't involve words. And so Let's forget the words that you said through your demeanor and through your controlled approach. What did you show him in that moment?
0: Right. So um, I spent the better part of my youth uh, slouched, even though I was an athlete um, for all through high school, all through college, just slouched. And, And now when I look back on that, that was my curving in, right, protective mode. And in that conversation, I walked in, shoulders back, head head held high, and looked at him and just said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm sorry if you don't like that. I'm sorry if that makes you feel uncomfortable. But I need to say my piece. And I said that. And there was potentially maybe two seconds, three seconds, maybe there were three seconds where he could have said something to bring me back into that heat, I had already 180ed out the door. I was already out. Now that's an intense conversation. and again, I don't want anybody to walk away from this conversation thinking poor things about my dad because he was very highly functional, highly, highly functional and successful. Um, and again, I loved him so much. I have had other conversations with people um, where, again, you look back, and think, well, why did things play out that way? Why did they feel that they could speak to me that way or treat me that way? You play a role in that too. You know, I don't want to say that, like the the victim psychology, that's not what I'm talking about. But if you don't hold your ground, if you don't show a sense of self-control, not in a way that is overly manipulated or restricted, but self-control in terms of who are you? Who, who do you want to be? You know, we talk about, we think about all these people, whether it's, you know, executive coaches or evangelists, you know, you have to, you have to actually vocalize and visualize who you want to be. It's actually very powerful. When you do that, when you think about situations that have involved difficult conversations, if you visualize how you wish you had been, and you you kind of refer to that from time to time, over time you can bring that to bear and make that who you are. Very naturally. It may not feel natural to people who've known you for a long time, but over time it they'll they'll see that you know, you're 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 an evolving human being. God willing, we're all evolving. I hope. We are evolving for the better. That, that's certainly my personal aim.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, the word that you said that I think is most fascinating here is role. We played a role in that. And if we think about a role in a TV show or in the theater or something like that, you have a character and a role that you're playing and you interact with other people and they have a role. And the, the, the balance of the play is contingent upon people staying in their roles. And so really what you did in this and you said, you were saying that we're, we're changing the pattern, right? Yeah. I used to play this role. Um, but that's not the role I'm playing anymore. This is the role I'm playing in this, in in this play right now. I am going to be in control. And I'm not going to be dominating and controlling of you, but I am certainly going to be in control of myself and the situation and what happens to me or doesn't happen to me in this situation. And if you don't assume your new role, then I will exit stage right. <laughs> and that's what you did,
0: <laughs> yes, right. and we we just had a conversation too recently about um, you know, my finding a new voice. I do feel that you go through these cycles in your life where, if you're listening to yourself, if you're paying attention, you may have an opportunity to make some kind of uh, turn or transition. And just now in my career, after having left a firm practice that I had been involved with for, you know, nearly uh, 25 years, and now out on my own, I want to make sure that I am having my own voice not a voice that is filtered or somehow um, kind of cornered or uh, I'm not even sure what a good word for it is, but kind of this perimeter on it because you're working in that context with those people and you have a role to play in that construct. Well, that construct is not just Ariana Tadler. That construct is a firm with a lot of people, a lot of different personalities, a brand. Taddler law says it all, right? Toddler is me. And so I want to make sure that now I'm having the voice that I want to have, and I have much greater ability and opportunity to do that because I'm in a very different kind of construct. So at the same time, though, I have to be very mindful. Tadler Law is not the Ariana Tadler show, right? Tadler Law has its own construct. I have a phenomenal team of diverse people who make what we do every day work. And I am so grateful for them. And I'm still mindful that when I want to have perhaps a different voice than people are accustomed to my having, maybe being a little bit more human and uh, a little bit more um, sharing some of my emotion in a positive way, obviously. I have to be mindful that I have these people that I work with who I consider my team and I wanna be respectful of them. And I don't wanna be doing something that somehow is going to be uh, negative or or negatively received by them. And, And of course, that's true for my clients as well. My goodness. You know, want to make sure that I connect well with my clients and that they see me as as true and authentic and that they know who they're really dealing with.
1: Absolutely. And and so thinking about that, right, from the uh, authenticity perspective, we often need to do a lot of introspection to figure out who our authentic self really is and then how that authentic self manifests itself in, in different avenues of life at home, at work, with clients, when you're speaking and things like that. And that is often going to depend upon the people around you which parts of you you bring to the fore. So for instance, I'm a father of a five-year-old. Okay, that's a different version of myself. Still authentic me, but still different. I don't act the same way I act with Kai uh, when I'm with opposing counsel in a negotiation. That would be weird and um, not very very effective, right? And so I think this segues really well into our third and final point, which is recognizing what's inside of the other side. This is the empathetic side, right? And so we're seeing how our authentic self expression will be in many ways moderated um, by the people who are around us. We're going to adjust ourselves still being authentic based on the people around us. And so can you tell us more about the heart of this this part where we're talking about recognizing what's inside of other people?
0: Yes. I, and I love that you give that example with your relationship with Kai versus when you're, you know, managing a negotiation or, or in, a, in a case matter. Um, everybody, remember what I said, everybody has a story and in the story there are chapters. And when you think about a book with chapters, there are also characters. Well, Kai is a character, a beautiful character in your life right? There are other people in your family that are beautiful, hopefully all characters in your life. And similarly, you have people in your in your work life that hopefully have a very positive experience uh, with you and through you. And then you probably, you know, from time to time, <laughs> manage to meet one or two people who are, are, are negative characters. We have to figure out how do we work with all of them. You know, one of the things that I tap into, um, when I'm dealing with somebody who's difficult is people that bring me joy. I, as you know, have two children who are now hard to believe 21 and 23. So using the word children is almost feeling uncomfortable. They're young men. Um, and, and by the way, they're not always the easiest to communicate with or negotiate with, um, you know, they, they have their own skill sets, but I, I, they're great examples too. I have to look at them and listen to them so that I can have constructive conversations with them. And I, I do think that being a parent made a big difference in how I listen to other people. I really have come to the um, the realization that you really don't know what has happened in somebody's life over time, last week, today. Anything could have happened. And it could have happened in their home life. It could have happened on the subway. It could have happened on the street. It could have happened in a conversation two minutes ago. And so I really like, to start out conversations with people saying, so how are you? How are you doing? You know, anything um, new? And you never know, that could be something positive for somebody who you don't even know that well. Even somebody I could be on the other side of a dispute with, might say, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened today. And they do a 30 second, you know, unload if you will. Well, you suddenly realize, wow, there's a lot more going on there than what we were set to talk about. Maybe another thirty seconds or another three minutes of conversation will lessen the load there, and we'll have a very different conversation as opposed to we just launch into what we were there to talk about or fight about or argue about. Um, you know when you're when you're trying to put a deal together, people feel very entrenched in their positions. When you're open, to where somebody else is coming from, I just think you end up with a better result in the end. And I think when we focus on the term result, we sometimes are too finite. You could be doing a deal or negotiating something with somebody and focus only on that one element. And the truth of the matter is, depending on how you handle that discussion, that could impact a relationship for the rest of your life. You may end up having a relationship with that person that you never anticipated. You thought you were going to come in that room, resolve that issue and never see that person again. And then it turns out that because how because of how you handled that conversation, now that person's going to refer business to you. Or that person's going to say, "You know what? I'd really like to like grab a cup of coffee and get to know you better." You know? I love to meet new and, and great people. I think the more people that we meet, the more we learn about humanity and the better off we are, the better we can serve the roles that we're intended to play as we walk on this earth
1: yeah it makes a lot of sense and some uh, it goes back to timing too you can you'd be really surprised at what information you can get when you just ask that question how are you and sometimes the information comes in the words that they say sometimes it's in the way that they respond right oh everything's cool or yeah, everything's all right. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. What was that? You know, especially with clients. Sometimes when I'm when I'm working with clients, I say, okay, we're pausing this conversation. What what's going on? You know, and we dig deeper. Oh, let's address that issue right now. That's something I could actually help with. You didn't think I could, but yes, this is something I could help with. In the context of a more heated business negotiation, they might have something going on where you just say, Listen, sounds like you have a lot of go a lot of stuff going on right now. Just take a second, let's let's chat about this tomorrow. No rush. Because if you look back over the course of your life, there are some days where it doesn't matter what somebody does or said. <laughs> they are in your way. You're a freight train. It's like, huh? Okay. There's my target. And it's like what they always say: hurt people, hurt people, right? Yes. And so yes. you don't want to be on the other side of that unnecessarily. So it's important to do that intru- that that uh, investigation and genuinely absorb the information because that's important data that you can use to make a better decision.
0: and I find that when you apply this type of approach and I I don't even like to put that word approach on it it's you know a style or um, because you don't want it to be manipulative it's not intended to be manipulative it's intended to be authentic I find that the majority of the time you learn something new you learn also something that will Facilitate what it is that you're trying to achieve, either indirectly or directly. And that's great. And I said the majority of the time, let's not kid ourselves. There are some people out there that are just really crappy people. They just are. Um, uh, you know, for me, it takes me a long time to figure out that somebody is really not a good person because I am an optimist, I believe in the best of people. But sometimes there are people who just, you know, they're never going to change. doesn't matter how how pleasant and nice you are. That's not going to deter me from being who I am naturally. And I I actually really embrace that and uh, remind myself or validate myself that that's a really good part of who Ariana is. But nobody's going to deter me from being that person. I like that person.
1: Right. And a couple things there, because um, it can sometimes turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy in your situation, a good self-fulfilling prophecy when you are give, essentially giving people the benefit of the doubt. And in my book, Finding Confidence in Conflict, I have a section called the benefit of the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> and we don't just do that um, because we're naive or anything like that. We do that because that helps us to perform at a higher level. And then let's say after a numerous interactions, you just say, I gave a lot of chances here. Uh, This is just one of those few people, um, as my son would say in his book, a bad egg. um, (laughs) Those those exist. I use that term. I like that. I use that term. (laughs) And so that's important to know. And so when we think about empathetic stoicism and the empathy required to understand where somebody else is coming from, sometimes people are just coming from bad places and you need to know that so you can adjust accordingly.
0: Yes. And, you know, you and I have talked about uh, issues pertaining to diversity and inclusion. And I I've shared, you know, um, examples of things that I've encountered as a woman. I'm not a person of color, so I can't presume to to know some of many of the experiences that my colleagues and friends have had. And then I have lots of colleagues who could never presume to know some of the walks I've had to walk. Um, in terms of being a woman, a female professional, and some of the things that I've experienced. And in some cases, I've seen such amazing change, really, because of changing the dialogue, changing how we come to the discussion, changing how we listen, giving it an extra minute. And then, you know, there were some people who, um, yeah, they're not going to be moving forward with us. They're just not They're They're stuck, you know, decades back. They like it there. Nobody else likes it there. I'm not going to make any more effort to try to pull them out of there. They're just where they are. And I, you know, make myself feel better because I say to myself, you know what? It, It will come back to roost at some point. You're going to have something that happens in your life, whether it's because you have a daughter or you have a granddaughter or you know uh, something happens to somebody who is a, is a female colleague or friend of yours and suddenly you're outraged or you're incensed or you're so sad, how come you weren't like that, just engaging with any woman? What, why? And will that be a learning opportunity for you or not? Some people, absolutely. Some people, no. And when you know that it's a no, you can stop trying. It's okay. You can stop trying. I, I'm I'm a person who's pretty diligent. I stay on the path for a long time. I do keep trying, but at some point you do realize with with certain folks that um, it's time to move on. You don't have to yeah. keep going to that well.
1: That well's dry. Yeah. And think about it, it. Great negotiators know when to walk away. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. And that's one of those situations where you just have to say, all right, well, I did my I did my part and, and this is where we are right now. So this has been incredible. And I know we are way over time for what yes. a, a, an episode usually is, but this has been great. And I think we, we've we explored a lot of cool topics and explored them in a different way, a, a different Uh, like a hybrid approach, stoicism and uh, and empathy, blending those things together to have a really powerful approach and mindset that we can take in our difficult conversations. And for the listeners out there who want to get in touch with you, learn more about your practice, your business, the work that you're doing, what's the best way?
0: Best way is via email at at tadlerlaw.com. Or if you're in the need for data management, consulting, hosting type services, you can get me at ATadler at metaediscovery.com and also just go to one of our websites, tadlerlaw.com or metaediscovery.com and you can find phone numbers too. Uh, You know, we like to talk to people. Uh, We're in the service industry, so we want to have a connection with you and, and make sure that we're listening to what your needs are and satisfying them.
1: Fantastic. Ariana. thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Congratulations. You've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations